Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Devin speaking. Uh, first off, I just want to give a huge shout out to everyone who's listening. Uh, thank you all for the for the love and support you guys have shown for the podcast. This has been a really cool experience. Uh, but I wanted to before we get into our episode with Dr. Cooper, I wanted to apologize for my audio issues. I was I had a couple of different audio issues going on, but I promise we're going to fix those for the, in the future. But uh, I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Uh, let me know what you guys think after the episode's over. Let's get to it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. I have a special guest with me, uh, Dr. Cooper. Dr. Cooper, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Hey, how are you? Uh, thank you very much for inviting me on your show. Uh, my name is Joseph Cooper, uh, originally from Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, grew up uh, as an athlete. Uh, grew up in a Southern uh, Christian Baptist home. Uh, loving family, uh, both parents. Um, my mother was a teacher. My father was a psychiatrist. Um, and I uh, grew up like a lot of young Black boys in North Carolina, uh, falling in love with sports, specifically basketball. So Michael Jordan, uh, Randolph Childress, David Thompson, uh, Grant Hill, all of the greats who played at the Tobacco Road schools had a profound impact um, on my identity development, as well as my goal, career goal aspirations uh, as a young Black male. Um, I uh, attended the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I double majored in sociology and recreation administration. Um, I then went on and did my master's in sport administration uh, at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and later completed my doctorate in kinesiology with a concentration in sport management and policy. Um, and currently, I am um, a tenured faculty member um, in the Sport Leadership and Administration Program at UMass Boston. Um, and I also serve as Special Assistant to the Chancellor for Black Life. Awesome. So uh, UNC Chapel Hill, any love for the Blue Devils over there? Uh, I mean, I'm not a one of those Tar Heel fans that uh, doesn't give the Blue Devils any credit. Um, I think Coach K is one of the greatest coaches in all of sports history. Uh, I'm a big fan of Grant Hill. I love Jay Williams. Uh, but uh, anytime um, the Tar Heels are playing the Blue Devils, it's always Tar Heels. And um, it's very seldom that I root for Duke. There have been a few occasions uh, when I'll root for them. But uh, by and large, uh, it's uh, Tar Heel Blue all day. You may get in trouble for that Grant Hill comment in, uh, in Chapel Hill. But, it's not but as we'll bad as if I say a Christian Legner or a J.J. Reddick. Uh, there's a couple yeah, of well, that are, are higher up on the uh, the Duke list for, for most Carolina fans. Definitely not. I live in Kentucky right now, and uh, Christian Legner is a cuss word here. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. So you have a – you, you uh, just came out with a book. Um, it's called uh, From Exploitation to Empowerment, Black, Mo Black Male Miseducation Through Sport. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about the book? Absolutely. Um, so to put it simply, uh, throughout my research, I found three broad issues with how Black males, holistic individuals who participated in sport or Black male holistic athletes were being examined. One, it was either a deficit approach to them, which meant that all of the problems that they encountered, um, it was their own fault. So if they failed in school, it was their fault. If they didn't make it to the professional level, it was their fault. If they uh, had some type of run-in with the law or the criminal justice system, 
it was their fault. Um, any of the issues facing them, it was their fault. I found that problematic and I found that to be not only uh, misleading, um, but I found it to be inaccurate. The second issue is that there was not a wide range of theorization around black male holistic athlete development. Much of the theories that existed up until the writing of this book basically assumed that all black males were obsessed with sport, they prioritized sport over education, um, and then they either ended up in sport glory or somehow they had some tragic ending and they were a burden to society. I found that to be uh, very troubling. Um, although there are many black male holistic athletes who experience uh, post-traumatic athletic career disengagement trauma or what we describe as the post-athletic career identity crisis, I felt like the whole story was not being told. So it was important to write a book that accounted uh, for the complexity of their lived experiences. And then the third reason is that um, there was a lack of heterogeneity or diversity among black male holistic athlete experiences. Um, everybody's not a superstar athlete. Everybody's not a valedictorian. Everybody uh, doesn't dislike school. Everybody is not, only, is not only involved in sport. I felt like there were a lot of stories that weren't being told. Black athletes, holistic athletes, who were also musicians, who were student government leaders, who were community leaders, who were active in their religious organizations, who had experienced an identity crisis, but subsequently um, were able to transition positively into uh, effective adulthood in terms of their contributions to their families and their communities. So within the book, I highlight five socialization models that seeks to combat the issues that I saw in the literature in the past. And the five uh, socialization models are the illusion of singular success, the um, elite athlete lottery, the transition recovery model, purposeful participation or expansive personal growth model, and the holistic empowerment model. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about each of them, but suffice it to say that within each of those models, it describes socialization processes, not identities, not individual traits, but socialization factors that would contribute to positive and or negative outcomes in and through sport. And that's why the book is intentionally titled From Exploitation Back to Empowerment, Black Male Holistic Underdevelopment Through Sport and Miseducation. And under and miss are in parentheses because within the models, I talk about what conditions facilitate miseducation, which leads to exploitation, and that contributes to holistic underdevelopment. And then what conditions lead to a proper education, which leads to empowerment, which leads to holistic development. Yeah, so um, you said a lot there, and I'm, I'm really excited to dive into the book. Uh, one of the things that you had mentioned um, was that when looking at uh, society and the research, a lot of the things that happened to athletes, uh, it was just assumed that it was their fault. Uh, so lack of education, lack of socialization, it could be, it could be their fault. So what would you say to critics or people on the, on the counter-narrative piece of it that would say that uh, at what point do we hold athletes accountable for their actions or, or for what, the, what they've done? I mean, I think there's a combination of responses to those critics. One, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and mm -hmm. a lot of those critics assume that all uh, athletes, holistic athletes, 
have access to the same information, have access to the same report resources, um, and mm -hmm. access to the same understandings um, of sport, of education, and of opportunities beyond sport. We know that in our society, there are disparities around healthcare, around education, quality education access, around wealth and socioeconomic status. So to assume that everybody who puts on a uniform is participating for the exact same reason or gains the exact same benefits from that participation is totally inaccurate. Secondly, it ignores, those critics ignore the influence that socialization actors around that athlete, the holistic athlete, play within their development. It ignores the role of coaches. It ignores the role of teachers. It ignores the role of parents. It ignores the role of agents. It ignores the role of media. It ignores the role of uh, um, other individuals such as these shoe companies and other entities that are benefiting and profiting off the labor of talented uh, Black holistic athletes. So for me, individual decision-making plays a part. Um, but I would argue no individual's success is totally or even a majority predicated on their own decision-making. You have to have resources. You have to have support. Timing is important. Context is important. Everybody doesn't get second chances. There are several, for example, look at an athlete like Ben Roethlisberger, and we look at some of the things that he's been accused of in his past. He's been the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers for over a decade now, even with his charted past. But you look at athletes like Michael Vick, you look at other athletes who have experienced uh, uh, issues, even currently Deshaun Watson, and we don't even know how that will play out. And oftentimes with black holistic athletes, society is less forgiving and they don't have the same type of opportunities to correct prior mistakes, whether they were guilty in the first place or not. Um, so I think to ignore the broader systemic racism, particularly as I talk about in the book, the gendered racism against black males, particularly, and mind you, I wanna tell those critics as well, if you look at any social wellness index, black males are typically at the bottom. Mortality rates, we die at younger ages, incarceration rates, we're incarcerated at higher rates, we graduate at lower rates. That's not all based on individual decision-making and behavior. That has to do with the way society views us and the way society treats us, not only within the classroom, but within sports and within the broader society altogether. So to those critics, I would say it's a convenient way of masking uh, the stereotypes and the pathologies that have been mapped onto black males which deem them as intellectually inferior, as criminal and deviant, as hypersexual. And so without accounting for the factors that would influence behavior, all you have to do is simply say, oh, athletes need to be held accountable. It's their fault. Um, I find that to be egregious and I disagree with it wholeheartedly. Yeah, and uh, I appreciate you going into that. Uh, part of my dissertation, is I talked about some of the systemic disparities uh, within with black males in graduation rates and, and uh, graduation and enrollment. So there's a there's a lot of different things systemically, but um, I'm glad we're talking about this, particularly towards um, athletics. Um, so let's go back to the book a little bit. One, uh, I have now, I haven't read the whole book yet, but, I've, but there are uh, parts of the book that, that have interested me that have read snippets of it. And uh, one of the pieces that, that caught my attention was the piece on um, 
when we talked about nicknames, uh, you, you talked about that just a little bit. Um, would you, so if, if I'm understanding you correctly, um, you make the argument that uh, we really shouldn't be identifying these athletes as their nicknames because they're more than just uh, than just their nicknames because we, um, I, I, you, you mentioned that either we, we make them subhuman or superhuman. Uh, would you like to describe to describe just a little bit more in detail? Because, because to me, honestly, you know, uh, somebody may be listening to this and they say, "Well, I want to call somebody the Greek Creek, or I want to say King James, or you know, something like of that nature." So, just tell them what's the big deal about nicknames. Great question. Um, context matters within the context of the United States uh, over the past four hundred plus years. Black people have been experiencing. Um, process of dehumanization, which means during slavery and even today, we've been deemed as inferior beings compared to other human groups, uh, namely white people, and as a result, or Europeans. And as a result, there are mischaracterizations of who we are and what our abilities are. And oftentimes we're categorized in two dichotomous ways. One is subhuman, which means we're intellectually inferior. We may have innate athletic abilities, but those are only beneficial if they benefit other groups. Um, and so it means, oh, you can be a great athlete, but none of you could be coaches. None of you should be managers. None of you should own the teams. None of you should own a league. Um, so it still puts us in a subordinate class. With the nicknames, the reason why it's problematic, particularly when it's used outside the context of an African collectivist or communal um, system, is that it takes on another meaning whereby it creates an alter ego for an individual who may already be susceptible to athletic identity role engulfment and athletic identity foreclosure, which means that they're in a context where because they're a black male, there are very few spaces, I argue sport is the only space where if a black male is, is exceptional at the, the task, they are universally respected. You can't name one other skill set that if a black male is very good at it, universally across all racial groups, socioeconomic status, religion, political views, et cetera, that a black male will be celebrated and heralded. You can't say music because music has genres. People don't like all types of music. You can't say healthcare because people don't agree on all types of healthcare and what should be provided. And you can't say any other thing around business because there's not an agreement on what is an effective business person. So with sport, if somebody's talented, you give them the nickname of Greek freak, the beast, King James, the freak and in, in the, in, in the beast are animalistic terms. Prior to 1865 in the United States, black people were deemed as property similar to how you would domesticate animals. And the threat of black males that has been projected through propaganda suggests that we are animalistic, that we're violent, that we're going to rape women, that we are out of control and we need to be tamed. So when you give these nicknames that are animalistic in nature, you're actually perpetuating a dehumanizing stereotype. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Air Jordan, King James, The Answer. When you use those terms, 
you are imposing a superhuman trait on a human being. When you do that, you are creating an inflated ego, which doesn't allow for the individuals with those skills to engage in human existence. They're not allowed to make human mistakes. They're not allowed to feel pain, which is another thing. If you're superhuman, guess what else I can do to you? I can lash you and whip you on your back more than I could anything else. I could run you to exhaustion. I could treat you like a machine or a robot instead of a human being. And this is what's happened time and time again. We've seen numerous black athletes who've been um, pushed to exhaustion during workouts and they've died. We've seen numerous black athletes have their muscles and their bodies destroyed through overexertion and through overtraining. That's because we've been treated as superhuman. Even as we uh, are talking about the NFL with the race norming. All right, so here he mentions race norming. So what is race norming? So for those of you who don't know, race norming is the practice of adjusting test scores to account for the race or ethnicity of the test taker. What does this have to do with the NFL? Recently, as of the summer of 2020, uh, NFL athletes had sued uh, the NFL, former NFL athletes had sued the NFL uh, for practicing race norming and discriminatory practices. They needed some more medical attention uh, when it came to uh, con uh, concussion syndromes that they were getting, uh, particularly regarding CTE. Um, and the doctors refused to give them medical attention uh, essentially because they said that uh, their brains were, just didn't perform as high as the white NFL players. And so there's lots of tons and tons of articles. A, a quick Google search can figure, figure out more information about this. But I want to just update you all on what the practice of race norming is and uh, how it's relevant to his conversation today. So let's get back to it. And how that actual stereotype, it imposed the sub and superhuman simultaneously. Subhuman, these black males who play football, their brains, they're not as smart. Their base level is lower, and we don't have to provide them with the same type of support. On the flip side, they're superhuman because if they get multiple concussions, somehow that's not going to affect them like it would any other human being. It's not going to lead to CTE. They're not going to feel pain because they're superhuman, these big black, black bodies. So both the super and sub nicknames that are used so commonly in our society are perpetuating dehumanizing stereotypes. Also, even when it's not an animal, even when it's not a super, when you don't refer to somebody by a name that is native to who they are, remember for Black people, one of the most egregious uh, injustices that have been imposed on us is the stripping of our culture, the stripping of our names, the stripping of our languages, the stripping of of things that are familiar to us. So when you give somebody a nickname, particularly if it's outside their cultural uh, home, you're basically saying you have to assimilate to something other than me. Instead of saying Giannis Antetokounmpo, which is his name, you're gonna call him the Greek freak because you want to separate him from his Nigerian roots. You wanna separate him from his Greece roots. And that is problematic on multiple levels. So. What I would say with nicknames is be very cautious how you're using the nicknames, what nicknames you're selecting, and never allow the nickname
to take on an identity bigger than the holistic person. I'll give you a great example. Prime time. If you watch interviews where Deion Sanders talks about how he became prime time, he describes it as an alter ego. And he says that actually had a damaging impact on his marriage, on his family relationships, because when he's at home, he's prime time when they need him to be husband. They need him to be daddy. They need him to be a caring person. But prime time is a performer. When you give nicknames, you're creating an expectation on a person that I have to perform in a certain way to map onto that nickname instead of being the holistic human being that I am, which is a human's experience a range of emotions. Humans aren't always smiling. Humans aren't always crying. Humans aren't always catching incredible passes. Humans aren't always doing great things. Humans experience a range of emotions and it ebbs and flows, but the nicknames don't allow for that. The nicknames typecast a person into a particular set of uh, skills and a particular identity. And that to me is a restrictive thing and it can lead to damaging impacts short-term and long-term. That's good. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I would, uh, so I wanna, I wanna ask uh, one last question for you uh, on, the, on the topic of the book. Uh, you talked about, um, you also talked about the, the you use the term holistic athlete instead of student athlete. Um, I think that this is, it's very important to distinguish the two, but I wanted, I wanted you to, uh, if you could describe why you decided to go that route to, to say holistic athlete instead of student athlete and, and, and um, kind of you're like, what, what is the difference between the two? Great question. Again, two reasons why I use holistic first. When you call any human being holistic first, in their minds, there's a cognitive activation that there are multiple identities that they possess. Mm -hmm. Multiple identities. The term student athlete does not allow for multiple identities to possess. It reduces a person to two identities, student and athlete. I would argue that any person who is a student and an athlete, they're also a family member, a community member, also interested in other skill sets. But when you say holistic, you're including all of that. And so I think that holistic is a way of humanizing everybody, but particularly humanizing groups that have been dehumanized, such as Black people, and particularly Black holistic individuals who participate in sport. Because Black athletes, like many athletes, but in a distinct way, have been commodified based on their athletic ability, which means they are only valued insofar as their athletic ability produces some type of entertainment or economic value, typically for communities outside their own. So that's number one. It is a call for viewing individuals who participate in sport as more than athletes, more than students. They are holistic people who are participating in an activity. Being an athlete is something you do. It's not all of who you are. Being a student is a task that you perform. It's not all of who you are. Number two, the term student athlete originated uh, in the mid uh, 20th century when um, Walter Byers, who was the former president, uh, executive director of the National Collegiate Athletic Association, was seeking a legal loophole to avoid having to pay workers' compensation to college athletes who were getting injured, including being paralyzed from the neck down 
from participating in sports at a university. And they were filing claims saying my athletic scholarship is essentially a contract for my labor and the NCAA and the member institutions did not want to pay out that money. So the origin of the term is rooted in exploitation. They wanted to avoid providing the proper medical benefits and compensation for athletic labor for a university that was profiting quite handsomely from the, those efforts. So understanding the origin of the term is really important. And when we perpetuate it, it ignores the fact that it's grounded in the purpose and why it was created wasn't to celebrate student academic achievement. It wasn't to celebrate students balancing being students and athletes. It was created so that an entity could continue to disproportionately benefit off of the talents of individuals who were participating in athletics at those schools. So those are the two reasons why I uh, in, use and highly encourage everyone who works with individuals participating in sport to use the term holistic before you reference anything else. That's very good. That's, and that's, uh, that's really helpful. So I, mean, I really appreciate your insight on that. Um, so for people who are listening to the podcast, um, let's say that there's a holistic athlete that's listening to this podcast right now, and um, they're on the way, they're, they're about to graduate, and uh, are they, they already have graduated, and they're struggling with that identity crisis um, that you mentioned earlier with, uh, with, with being, with thinking that they were still in that athletic mode and instead of that holistic person. Um, what kind of advice would you, would you give to them um, to, to, to kind of fight through that struggle? There's different levels to what they may be going through and the type of supports that they may need. All of them will need to connect with individuals who help nurture a healthy identity development beyond their athletic connection. So that can be family members. Sometimes it's not family members. That could be friends. Sometimes it's not friends. Um, I encourage students to use the career services at their institutions. Um, I encourage them to reach out to their alumni associations um, and see if they can connect with former athletes who are in career fields um, beyond sport so that they can begin to learn and explore different opportunities. Uh, I encourage them to reach out to Black faculty who study sport, including myself and several others who can be found at the Black Student Athlete Summit uh, website. You can see all of the videos there on YouTube. There's numerous of us uh, all across the country and all across the world who study these issues um, intimately and have been publishing research. And we have videos on YouTube that you can uh, check out. Um, get connected to different support groups, um, such as this podcast. There's another podcast called Status. I believe is student. Uh, I think it's like student athletes uh, pursuing universal success. Um, and I'm paraphrasing what the acronym stands for, but it's a group of black male former student, uh, holistic former af athletes uh, who participated in sport in college. Um, uh, Michael Mallory, one of my former doctoral students, has a company called I'm So Educated. He's doing great work. Another one of my doc students, Donald McCauley, has a, a group called Athlete Alliance out of New Haven, Connecticut. Um, so there are a number of resources that are out there. Uh, there is a podcast called Sets for Life by Joy Walker, um, which is really, really helpful and beneficial. Um, there's another uh, group uh, called Athlete, uh, Athlete 
entrepreneurship. So it blends the word athlete and entrepreneurship. Um, I believe you could find it on LinkedIn and you could Google it as well. And it really helps uh, individuals learn about how to brand themselves. There's another organization called Prime Youth, uh, which was founded by Jared Barnes. Um, I believe now he's working with the Los Angeles Rams uh, of the National Football League. But there are a plethora of resources out there that are designed to help fuel holistic development for individuals who participate in sport. So connect with people and resources to help you um, explore your identity beyond sport. Use career development services that help you uh, refine your skills. Um, just like you developed your skills in sport, you have the ability to develop skills to be successful in a career beyond sport. Also know that you have acquired transferable skills through sport that are extremely valuable once you activate and apply them in non-sport settings. Now, see, Dr. Cooper, you you are a plug. You are a plug of information, and I I really appreciate you using all all the, plugging in all the information and all the resources on the on the podcast. Um, so, if someone wanted to, to purchase your book, if someone wanted to purchase your book, where where would they go to to purchase you to purchase it? So they can go. I know it's available on Amazon.com. Um, as I mentioned, the book is called From Exploitation Back to Empowerment. And the subtitle is Black Male Holistic Underdevelopment Through Sport and Miseducation. They could also find it at peterlang.com. Uh, Peter Lang is the name of the publishing company based out of New York, New York. Um, I also recently published a book this past year uh, through Peter Lang as well, and it's available on Amazon uh, called A Legacy of African-American Resistance and Activism Through Sport. Um, so that book talks about intergenerational activism exhibited by active African-Americans, not only athletes, but all individuals connected to sports. So that includes coaches, administrators, staff, spectators. Um, and that's why the term sport activism is used throughout the book and not just athlete activism. So uh, I definitely would love for everybody to spread the word and purchase both of those books, uh, either from Amazon or from peterlang.com. Um, and um, I'm working on some new work right now, so stay tuned. I'll have to come back on the show and, and announce uh, when those works are out uh, here in the near future. For sure, for sure. I appreciate you talking about your other books as well. Um, Dr. Cooper, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, you, you are a brilliant mind, and we, we always uh, appreciate just listening, just, just listen for, for a while. And I, I just appreciate you sharing all, that, all, your, all your wisdom that you have on, on the show today. No, thank you. Thank you, Deverin, and uh, soon to be Dr. Muff, or Dr. Muff already. You just finished, so Dr. Muff, um, I appreciate um, your expertise. You're a brilliant mind. I think your podcast is outstanding. I think it's very important. Thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to, to be on your podcast, and I look forward to continue supporting you and the great work that you're doing and all of your guests that you have on the podcast. Awesome, awesome. Once again, thank you, Dr. Cooper. No problem. Thank you.